In a sermon that I preached at a former congregation several years ago, I made the comments that there's so many places in this country that I would love to visit and see, but I also recognize that there are probably some places in our country that maybe we would call them flyover states. You know, those places that maybe there's not much to do or things to see. I will not risk telling you what state I said was a flyover state, but I can promise you it wasn't Indiana. But ever since then, one of Laura's best friends who was in church that morning continues to hound me about the fact that I referred to her home state as a flyover state. And just about every time we see her, she reminds me of that. My point is that I realize that there may be certain books of the Bible or certain sections of Scripture that we might think of as flyover sections. For example, maybe the book of Numbers or Leviticus in the Old Testament, if you've ever tried to read it. But as you start to read the New Testament, as we're doing this week as a congregation, you might have a similar feeling as you turn to the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. It might be tempting to just fly over those verses, those names. After all, what possible benefit could there be from reading a list of names of who begat who and who was the father of who? Why not just skip this whole section and go on, right? Well, maybe not so fast here. You see, as we begin this reading of the Gospel of Matthew, there's actually a reason why Matthew began with the genealogy of Jesus. And I want to suggest today that there's probably three reasons why Matthew began with that genealogy. And the first one I want to suggest is that the genealogy of Jesus establishes the lineage and the bloodline of Jesus. Now the reason that is significant is because genealogical records were important to the Jewish people who were the first initial audience that Matthew was writing to. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to buy or sell land, you had to produce a genealogical record of your family's ancestry. Why? Because the land was to stay in the family line or the tribal allotment. The way that the Lord preserved the 12 tribes of Israel and the land that he gave them was through their family line. So if you wanted to buy or sell land, you had to produce information that would verify that you were a part of that family background. The same was true for priests in the Old Testament. You could not serve in the priesthood unless your ancestry line could be traced all the way back to Aaron. So the reason the ancestry records of Jesus is important here is because the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah says that he will reign on the throne of his father David. 
So for Matthew's audience to see Jesus as the Messiah, they had to see that there was a connection all the way back to King David. That's why at Christmas time we read from Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, who will reign on the throne of his father David forever and ever. It's why Matthew begins with this verse that I read earlier. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew starts with those words because for the Jewish people, they had to see that there was a link between Jesus the Messiah and, the, and David who reigned on the throne. One other thing here. Matthew's ancestry record here shows Jesus as having the appropriate legal pedigree through Joseph, his adopted father. Now in a few weeks, you're going to start reading the Gospel of Luke, and you're going to come to chapter 3, and in chapter 3, you're going to have another genealogical list and say, Pastor didn't tell us that there would be a second one. Well, there is. But that list in Luke's gospel establishes the appropriate biological pedigree of Jesus through his mother Mary. So these two lists together tell us that Jesus has the appropriate legal li linkage and the biological bloodline to be the promised Messiah that was announced over 300 times in the Old Testament. That's the first reason that the genealogy of Jesus is listed in Matthew's gospel. But there's a second reason. The genealogy of Jesus establishes that Jesus is a critical part of human history. In other words, Jesus didn't just appear out of midair. He didn't just appear on the scene from a puff of smoke. He wasn't a figment of people's imagination. The birth of Jesus is literally the turning point in all of human history. Why? Because everything leading up to the birth of Jesus is time-stamped B.C., before Christ. But everything after the birth of Jesus is time-stamped A.D., which is a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. So here we are sitting today on January the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Now I know nobody says it that way, but whether it's said that way or not, the birth of Jesus is literally the indication of how time is being recorded. So for instance, every time you enter your credit card number online for an online purchase, not only do you have to enter that credit card number, but you have to enter what else? The three-digit code, yes. But also the expiration date of your credit card. It will not go through without that date. The expiration date, such and such a month, in the year of our Lord... 2000 and whatever. Again, I realize that nobody thinks along the lines of this is in the year of our Lord, but nevertheless, the birth of Jesus is the piv pivotal event 
and how we mark time in history. That's the second reason for the genealogy of Jesus. But there's a third reason, and that is that the genealogy of Jesus establishes the real reason why Jesus came in the first place. And I really think this is the most important reason. And that takes us back to the list of names that I pointed you towards earlier in Matthew chapter 1. But before I, I go there, before I started working on this message, I contacted a cousin of mine who has spent years studying the ancestry history of our family. And I asked her if she could dig up some kind of dirt on our family history. I said, see if you can find some skeletons in the closet, some, some juicy stories that I can share when I, I preach that sermon on the genealogy of Christ. And you know what she found? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing really worth talking about that much. In fact, we both said to each other, it's not that there wasn't some dirt there, it's just nobody wrote it down so there'd be a record of it. I asked her to dig a little deeper, and about the only thing she could come up with was that a very distant relative had three children, all from three separate men, none of whom she ever married. Now, that probably doesn't sound like that would be front-page news to us today, but in the late 1700s, early 1800s, I bet it raised a few eyebrows, don't you think? in that small little German village where our family came from. In fact, in the ancestry records for that family, this is what it actually says. Since the three children all carried the last name of the respective fathers, and since the names of the fathers are stated in the baptism records, it can be assumed that the fathers had acknowledged fatherhood, but apparently no marriage took place. This does not necessarily mean that the fathers refused to marry the mother. In those times, couples had to get permission to get married, and oftentimes such permission was denied for poor people without a steady job and without property that they owned. Isn't that interesting? First of all, you had to get permission to get married, and permission was denied if you didn't have enough money to support yourself as a family. Well, let's think about this. How's a single mom with three kids going to support herself any better than if she was married? Well, that's maybe another story here. Anyway, that's the best I could come up with. I asked my cousin if she would keep digging a little deeper. But let's go back to the list in Matthew chapter 1. We might expect that the bloodline of Jesus only includes people who are honorable people, decent people, upright, upstanding people, right? That would be in who is in Jesus' ancestry. But if you look closely at the names, that's not necessarily the picture we get. Verse 2 in our reading says, lists Abraham. Our Old Testament reading this morning talked about Abraham and how Abraham was a man of faith, but we also know that in the book of Genesis, Abraham was also a liar. Twice he lied saying his wife was his sister, and the reason he did that was to save his own neck at his wife's expense. Verse 2, Jacob. He was a deceiver. 
He deceived his brother out of his birthright. He deceived his father out of the blessing. Verse 3 talks about Judah. Judah sleeps with someone who he thought was a prostitute who actually turned out to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who's also in this list. Verse 5, Rahab. Rahab was a madam of a Gentile brothel. When the spies came to spy out the land of Jericho, she asked that when they destroyed the city of Jericho, that if they would spare her and her family. Now, these are the kind of people that were a part of Jesus' genealogical background. If you have ever thought in your life that you have done too many things for God to ever use you or love you or forgive you, well, you know what? Go back and read the list in Matthew chapter 1, where people like David is listed. David, who slept with another man's wife and ordered her husband be killed, and he tried to cover it up. Solomon, who was an idolater and an adulterer. Solomon, who is thought of as the wisest man in the world, did some pretty dumb things sometimes. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had a harem of a thousand women. Now, I'm not very smart, but I can tell you, I think that spells trouble, don't you think? Verse 8 mentions the name Jehoram. Jehoram was a murderer. He was the fifth king of Judah, but he killed all six of his brothers so they would not threaten his reign on the throne. Now, there's many, many more names on this list, but I think you get the idea here. It is not hard to look at the ancestry records of Jesus and see how imperfect a group this was. But for each one of them, and for every one of us, this is exactly why Jesus came. The truth is, there may be all of that and more in your family or mine. Abuse, Abandonment, addiction, anger, alcohol. For all of that and more is exactly why Jesus came. Came to change all the mess in our life. All the past mistakes that people in our family who have gone before us have made. All the mistakes that we ourselves have made. Jesus came to forgive and offer a new opportunity. With Jesus Christ, not only do we get a new heart, we get a new start. No matter what has happened, Jesus came to offer us a new beginning. Sure, there may be some things that have happened in our past or in the past history of our family or in our own lives that we have done or things that have happened to us that have left some scars. And if that's the case, thankfully there are skilled counselors and pastors to help any of us walk through that. And that's why it's important for any of us to embrace that there is absolutely no shame in trying to deal with our shame. And it's absolutely okay to say when we're not okay. But whatever that might look like in your life, 
know this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Which means that as far as Jesus is concerned, the heritage that you have received is not nearly as important as the legacy that you will live. In fact, Jesus came to write a whole new legacy for our life, which means that ultimately your identity does not come from the biological bloodline that you came out of, but your true identity comes from Jesus who sacrificed his blood to give you a new life. The reason the genealogy of Jesus is included in Matthew 1 is because the list of those names and the list of the names in our own family tree is exactly the reason why Christ came in the first place. And what that tells us is that God uses some pretty imperfect people, doesn't he, to accomplish his perfect plan. And he is still doing that in our lives today. So no matter what family you have come out of, no matter what experiences you have had in your life, just imagine what all God can do through you. Because the heritage you have received is not nearly as important as the legacy you leave. And in Jesus Christ, he allows you to write a new legacy because he is the one who ultimately matters, who has given you a new life. In Jesus' name, amen.